When I think of Dartmoor, I always conjure up Arthur Conan Doyle's gothic Sherlock Holmes story, The Hound of the Baskervilles, with its mysterious beast, its escaped convict, and its climax in the great Grimpen Mire. Well, the prison and the bogs are still here, and the granite landscape can still seem ominous, and the mythical stories still crowd in on each other, providing inspiration for today's Folk on Foot guests. We've just come into the church at Buckland Monochorum, where Seth Lakeman is practicing a tune with the organist. And I hope that Seth's gonna take us on a walk across Dartmoor. But first of all, we have to listen to this beautiful music, don't we? Fantastic to me. Yeah. Good morning. Wonderful to see you. How are you doing? Who's this? This is Audrey, Audrey. on the organ. Oh, it's Audrey, I'm Matthew. How lovely to meet you. Thank you very much for coming to play with us. Seth, what was that you were playing? Uh, that's a tune called Cape Clear that is uh, very evocative of Dartmoor and this whole surrounding area. And Audrey and I played that and recorded it probably 14 years ago, maybe? Yeah, it's a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> um, for the Kitty J album. Yes, it was. Yeah. And right here in this church. Exactly here. So we were yeah, we were just trying to remember it, really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it all came flooding back. And this I, I would be your local church, because this is where you were brought up, isn't it, this village? Exactly, yeah. So I was uh, brought up... My parents live next door, believe it or not, and there's a, a pub just on the other side of the church. <laughs> so um, it's a, All you uh, need, really, isn't yeah, it? Yes, all you need, and right did, in the centre point. Did you go to school here in this village as well? I did, yeah. I went to St Andrew's School. My children have started there as well, so it's lovely to continue that whole thing. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful village. I mean, it's wonderful. This is Sir Francis Drake's village, really, wasn't it? Yeah, Buckland Monochorum. So well, he came from here. Yeah, and he used to come here quite often, didn't he? Drake Chapel was the first part of the church that was actually built, you know, by the Drake family. Yeah, Lady Drake used to come down, didn't she, on her horse? That's right. Uh, yeah, coming, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a wonderful uh, village, yeah, steeped in history. Do you think you might play the Cape Clear tune for us? Again, we can play the complete version. Yeah, yeah, that I would think be we wonderful. We might have that now. Two A's, two B's. Yeah. Should we try it again then, Audrey? Yeah. On the E, I guess. You go, Audrey. Go on. You stop.
How wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Audrey. That was brilliant. And so Audrey's there with the ominous mm. uh, accompaniment. What, what's this, is there a story behind that song? Um, it's something I, I put together for... There's a friend of mine who sadly passed away when I was 19, and I played at his funeral. So it means a lot to me, and it's, I find it very evocative for Dartmoor and, and you know, that surrounding area and the, the landscape. And the mist, exactly the mystery of... Yeah, it just seems very... Absolutely, mm. yeah. So it, it has a, you know, it's a real sadness, a mournful, but it, it, it's got a, you know, a resonance for me personally. You know, I understand for Tom, that. yeah. So. Would you take us for a walk on Dartmoor? I'd love to, yeah. It's a wonderful day. It's an astonishing day, actually. I'm going to just say that we're here in October and the sun is shining brightly and there is not a cloud in the sky. So it would be a great day to explore the moors. Should we go I'd and do it? I'd love to. I'll go and grab my dog and we'll head and out. And your guitar, yeah. baby. A guitar, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So where did your parents live when you were growing up? So they literally, um, I grew up 100 yards away. In this cottage here. In that cottage there? Yeah, my parents live in the cottage next to it. So they still do? Yeah. All right, they're still there. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's uh, an extraordinary thing to me, your story of the three musical brothers. Yeah. Did you all start out playing instruments at a very early age? And if so, who suggested it? Um, who suggested it? Well, it's probably my mum and dad and driven by my father who taught himself the duet concertina as a young man and then uh, he was very focused on folk music he used to help run a folk club down in Milton Coombe which is a, a village just close to us here so we really every Sunday we'd go down and as floor spot performers try out new tunes from um, England, Scotland, Ireland in sessions and things like that and that was kind of driving us along as performers and as writers of melodic tunes and... and... And did anyone suggest that you should take the fiddle up and Sean should play the guitar, or did you all just play different instruments? Well, the fiddle I'm carrying now is my grandmother's, so it's been passed down. My mother used to play it as well, so it's been passed down through the family. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's very sentimental to me, and it, I think that was probably stirring up the, uh, you know, the inspiration to play the violin. You know, watching my mother in the kitchen, I've got those hazy memories of her playing away, you know, long black hair over the violin. Um, and now I've got this picture of my, it's my great grandmother who holding the violin. It's a wonderful black and white, and it's just uh, fascinating to see the history that this violin has gone through. That's an extraordinary thing. So it's in the bloodstream almost. It feels like it, yeah. And it feels, it's difficult to uh, explain, but a violin is so close to the human voice and so close to you know, I guess to the soul, really, it feels like. So this violin is incredibly special to me. And what I don't really have the same sort of bond or relationship with any other instrument. I've tried to find a replacement because everyone always says to me, it's such a lovely violin, why do you take it out on the road or to pub sessions or things like that? And you just feel, though, um, you can't quite have the same sort of interpretation of channeling your music with any other instruments. Mm. And, and there's something wonderful about a family playing and singing together. We went to interview Eliza Carthy with her family and yeah. she gathered Martin and Norma yeah. and Anne and Mary round the kitchen table Lovely, and yeah. they sang together and there was a blending of voices which I think you can only get when people are related. Did yeah. you find that when you were playing with Sam and Sean that there's some instinct that bonds you together that you can't get if you're just people who've you know kind of assembled themselves into a band no i think it's yeah there's a family kind of tie this interpretation there's a way that you you know unconsciously relate 
sounds and music and you have a way of, of understanding each other, you know, what the person is going to do next, you know, the way they're going to sing it, the way they're going to play the tunes. You know, it, it is, it's something that's really quite special and magical for family ties. And you can see that bond, you know, I've been working recently with a, you know, a lovely trio of girls called Wildwood Kin. And it was really interesting seeing that sort of sibling, lovely uh, way that they can close harmony. It's, There's an empathy, isn't there, yeah, that comes out of it? Yeah, it's really magical. And only really siblings and families have that sort of, uh, that way of bonding together like that. What about sibling rivalry, though? There must well, be sibling rivalry. It comes rivalry. with it, doesn't yeah. it? Of course. <laughs> I'm sure. You must have fights as well, yeah. don't you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, three boys, you know. Imagine <laughs> growing up in teenage years. There was all sorts of that stuff going on. I mean, that was good fun, though. That was all part of the charm, I think, the character of it all. You know, you certainly get a lot of uh, arguments in studios and, you know, as things grew and uh, my brothers found partners, singers, you know, Catherine Roberts and Cara Dillon, you know, things just kind of started to fall apart between us and, you know, paths were laid out and we all sort of grew apart in that way. But thankfully, we all still play on each other's records, you know, on, on this new record that I've got, which is One One Path. Catherine is singing on most of it, which is great, you know, to have my sister-in-law and she has a, a very close kind of bond to and, and a, you know, a way of singing to my kind of wailing of a, <laughs> of a voice. It's an unusual way of, you know, I'm definitely more of a a songwriter who, you know, who just likes to interpret his songs. So, you know, I'm not necessarily a singer in that sense. So it's good to have her understanding how to um, sing with me. Mm. Yeah. Now, we've arrived at St Andrew's School, where your kids go, where you went. Yeah, yeah. And there's a song on the new album, which is about a teacher, isn't it? An it educated about, man. Yeah, and this struck a chord with me. I was down in Cornwall, and I, I read this poem by David Prowse, and he had four or five verses. It was just wonderful. It was called The Educated Man. It really struck a chord because my kids had just started school. And I was thinking, this is a wonderful idea for a song. So I padded it out, changed a few things, added a few choruses, and, and just trying to turn it into something that would um, be cohesive as a song. It's an inspiring um, message, isn't it, about the power of learning, the power of books, the power of education. Yeah, and that lovely phrase, a word is like a jewel, he said, read everything you can, where wonder lies, there never dies, an educated man. So it's something that really resonated with me in this stage of my life, where the importance of education is, is vital <laughs> with little people, you know. Yeah, so you've got three yeah. under five haven't you i have got three under five yeah the <laughs> twins have uh, have just started in this school that we're at now buckler monocore and st andrew's school and and you, you know you see the importance of the teachers and, and those other people outside who are inspiring young people the young minds you know did you have somebody who inspired you when you were a, a young kid apart from your mum and dad obviously. lots of people i mean there's a there's a great fiddle player who inspired me certainly in those formative years 13 to sort of 17 is tom mcconville and he's, you know, a good friend of mine still. And, you know, I probably have the most similar style to him, really. And he, he's a lot, he's kind of self-taught, really, in a way. And he's got, you know, a wonderful style, which has hints of Celtic, Scottish, Irish, English as well. But jazz, you know, he's got lots of different flavours to his playing. And that was someone who, who really inspired me, Tom, yeah. Would you sing an educated man for us right here at the school? Yeah, I'll do that as long as they, uh, yeah, don't come out and throw me out for making too much noise. <laughs> That'd be it. wonderful. Yeah. That Tommy tall and slender had a stern solemn face And then this late professor out of time and out of place From a grassy corner in a rusting caravan Far and educated 
mask of a ship He took me under his wing Granting me the schooling of a raw apprentice king His library full of treasures All of life since it began To lend me his kind knowledge As an of stars and planets and of wonders of the brain Be curious, be questioning was ever his refrain Exercise your mind, he said Read everything you can A word is like a jewel swinging day from school the caravan was bare without a word he'd slipped away for challenges elsewhere wasting in eyes I shambled off then angrily I ran betrayed by one I valued as an educated man a word is like a Jew Read everything you can Where wonder lies Then never dies An educated mind I bustled in Still biting hard Pretending not to cry kitchen table reaching up towards the sky there lay a pile of heavy books encased in a leather band a gift beyond our measure from the educated man beside it lay a scribbled note in florid portman blue I picked it up in merely said the rest is up to you I turned the cover scanned the page the pilgrimage began along the paths and byways of an educated man a word is like a jewel he'd say read everything you can
was wonderful. Thank you. And it is really inspiring, isn't it? It's a really inspiring song and about message, the power yeah, yeah, of yeah. words. I think so, absolutely. And, and, and the inspirational teacher that can have such a transformative effect on someone's life. Exactly, and how he can really move you and yeah, inspire you for the future. Let's move on, because I want to get on to the moor. I yeah. want to see Dartmoor in all its glory on this beautiful autumn day. How about we head to a place called Burrito, Burrito Reservoir, which will be stunning today. Who's this getting out of the car? So this is my over-enthusiastic dog, Bernie. <laughs> kind of a dog is Bernie? Bernie is a Springer Spaniel. He's full of beans, isn't he? He really is he's full really, of beans. He's going to enjoy this walk. I think he's going to love this today. Yeah. Should we just walk up the top here? Yeah. And then we'll get a really good view, won't we? Oh, we'll get a lovely view from there, yeah, of the reservoir. And, and Seth, I wanted to ask you, while we're walking, what you think of when you think of Dartmoor? Because even in just the, the last 24 hours that I've been here, it's a huge place and there's so many different contrasting parts of it. And it's so embedded in your music and in the, the identity that you have. Mm. I wonder what you think of when you think of Dartmoor. Is it a dark place or is it a light place? I think it's, it's as we see it now, it's so clear and glorious in the sunshine that is, is you know, is a washing everything at the moment, they're autumnal colours. But as well as that, you know, is anyone who knows who lives here, that can quickly change. And so <laughs> the mist comes down and you can be lost very quickly, which has happened actually. <laughs> oh really, have you been <laughs> lost here? Myself and Even my friends, <laughs> on my 40th birthday, we walked the uh, Mariner's Way, which is a famous footpath that crosses both the two moors. So up to uh, Exmoor and all the way across from Dartmoor. And we're all trying to find some reception on our phones for 3G and try and work out where we are. And before we knew it, we were lost. Because the moor is so uh, it's featureless. Just, it's, it's featureless and it's disorientating, really. It's very confusing. But also, you know, you can see how the apparitions and, you know, those, those um, figures, forms and stories have kind of uh, weaved together from that and probably uh, consumption of cider. Right, <laughs> because there are endless sort of myths and legends about ghosts being seen and mm, yeah, yeah. spectral women coming out of nowhere. There's so many, and, yeah, yeah. And you've written songs based on some yeah, of those, haven't I, you? Yeah, I, I find it fascinating. It's wonderful and that mystery and that legend of Dartmoor is, is something that you know brings people and it's, it's embedded in the whole landscape, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and the people, yeah. Well, and Kitty J, which is the title of your breakthrough album in 2004, yeah. is one of those stories. I was hoping maybe later you would sing that, that song for us. I will actually, yeah. And do you know what? I, I, I was up on the moors yesterday in the northern part of the moor, Manhattan, and I showed my children for the first time Jay's grave. Right. And it always has these lovely flowers, posies, all sorts of trinkets that are left there. Well, and the flowers are supposed to be put there every day by the pixies, aren't they? Well, this is, yeah, this is the story, yeah. Kitty Jay was a, a, a servant girl who um, was disgraced because she fell pregnant uh, from a, a landowner's son. Um, and in those days, you know, it was very frowned upon. So she hanged herself. And instead of being buried you know, in, in consecrated ground, she had, she'd be buried at a crossroads. So that's at Manhattan there. And so her grave, Mary J or Jay's grave is, is there. And uh, there's flowers that have appeared through the 200 years that she'd been laid there by an unknown hand. I mean, that's how the kind of legend has developed. And I guess people are leaving things themselves, but there are fresh flowers there. It's extraordinary. I was showing my children saying, they're always going to be fresh flowers, whatever it is, snowy, summer days, there's always going to be these fresh flowers just on the base. As of if by magic. Yeah, exactly. It's a wonderful, wonderful story, yeah. I mean, obviously we could sing it by her grave, but looking out here, we've climbed up now 
to a vantage point where we can see the moor spread out around us 360 degrees and there's a tour over there to the left which is a hill for those who don't know Devon and the trees are carpeting down to the reservoir in the valley below so what an amazing setting to hear Kitty Jay. of a bark from your dog in the middle of it. Did yeah, you hear that? <laughs> I did get that. They kind of started to put me off. But... He, wanted me, he wanted me to throw the stick for him. <laughs> That's I why he was just barking. trying to join in, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'd, I'd like to talk a bit more about that album because you recorded it for £300, didn't you, Kitty J, the album? Well, we did, yeah, myself and my brother Sean, just in the village of Horrorbridge, which is close by. And it was within three weeks we recorded that, very quickly. It was an experiment, really. It was an idea of... You know, trying to, I guess, compile all these, you know, these stories, these legends. Did you Very record it in a studio or...? No, it was just in his kitchen, you see. And then it was nominated for the Mercury Music Prize. It was, yes. Were, were you surprised? I was very surprised. I mean, you know, I hadn't really started a career as a singer-songwriter in any way. I was set for a first tour as a trio with a couple of other musicians, Sean and a, a musician called Ben Nichols. But, you know, we, we weren't selling any tickets and it was all, you know... 
it was all low key really. I was more playing with other people, singing, writing songs, and playing fiddle behind other people. But so it must have been transformative when that nomination came out. It must have changed things enormously for me. For you. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a big deal. You know, I could suddenly fill small theatres and have a career you know it's, it's, it's as simple as that really within a few months I had a career and I could actually sell records and start writing songs and you know making money from it so it, it was it was that was the breakthrough for me. and then Freedom Fields the next album was a big seller it was a big seller yeah um, and it was recorded quite quickly again things were taken out of our control really because things were getting very busy and there was a lot of attention on us and didn't you have to go and um, sit on lots of chat show sofas and that kind of things things to sell it things like that yeah to sell it who was was the funniest person you sat next to oh sharon osborne sharon osborne gave me a a big smack on my lips that was a a, a morning wake-up call i tell you (laughs) (laughs) but um uh, bernie agrees with me (laughs) were you slightly bewildered by that you know in the sense that this music that you'd seen as being something that came from your roots and, and this rather unusual combination of violin and voice and so on yeah. suddenly became something that people were interested in. Connected to, and it, it, was, it was a way of kind of bridging, you know, popular music with folk music. You know, that was, I guess, the crossover that happened. Because I have been, obviously, steeped in folk music and the tradition, but as well as that, I've been a big, big fan of, you know, pop music, rock music, dance music, all sorts of music. Because I'll be honest, that Kitty J song is a reference to classical music, the history of the Moors, but also dance music. That is the way I interpreted it. That's the way people like Paul Oakenfold... Because you've got that rhythm. You've got that rhythmic background. The hypnotic uh, sentiment, sorry. Let's throw this stick for the... Stick for the dog, sorry. The dog, yeah, go on. (laughs) He's getting Um, impatient. (laughs) So, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, influences that have come through, you know, in various records. And Freedom Fields was was more of a popular record in the sense that it was more of a singer-songwriter record, you know, with the inclusion of big businesses like EMI behind it. It seemed to sell more, you know. Did you enjoy that or did you find it annoying? Oh, I think as a 27-year-old guy, you know, it was great fun. And you became a bit of a sex symbol, Seth, let's be clear. People people refer to that and I think... (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You sure? But I was was at the Manchester Folk Festival this weekend and I was talking to some people there, you know, just in the crowd waiting to go into a gig and I said, oh, I'm going walking with Seth Lakeman and there were a certain number of women who said, can I come with you? Oh, well, Did you get a lot of unwarranted attention? You know, did you get the old Tom Jones treatment of the knickers thrown on the uh, stage and all that sort of stuff? Nothing quite like that, but um, <laughs> it's definitely uh, yeah. I mean, there, there was there was attention, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's something that you know you try and shrug off. Really, at the end of the day, it's music and entertainment, and you've got, you've you've got to embrace that. But also, you know, you've you've got to get on with what you're doing: is writing songs, writing music. And it, and it seems to me that you've gone back to your roots since that experience of being on the bigger stage you've deliberately gone back to making the kind of folk music that you started out making is is that right yeah absolutely i mean it's you know it's a natural move for me i left somewhere with emi uh in 2010 and i went and made a record at morlem key which is the old heritage center in the tamar valley which is of that whole victorian era and i i, I went right back to basics in a recording with one microphone tales from the Bauhaus is really raw honest and you know it's back i guess it's a reaction to that big business that big money and that and you were playing um, the anvil anvil and, and all sorts of the bellows and to, trying to kind of bridge sound and subject you know trying to tell those stories of those artisans of industry the way they work the conditions they were working in do you think that there's something about being specific about where you come from 
that translates into an appeal to other people because it's interesting that you in a way by getting more specific about being from Devon and about the history of the people here yeah you, you still get an audience around the world don't you it's amazing actually because recently I've been away lots uh, working with Robert and Robert Plant, Robert Plant and um, you know he's really been supportive of, of getting me to open the shows 30 minutes and that's all over the world so you're playing in Istanbul for 30 minutes you're playing in Georgia Black Sea all over America many times and you know these songs you know about the people and the place these West Country songs I feel like I'm I'm a window of the West Country yeah. you know you're and an ambassador they've, they've, for the West yeah, Country yeah they're aren't connected you? with people it's surprising the amount of so in the deep south of America it, oh, it yeah. still goes down well playing in Telluride in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains and you know the Cornish hard rock miners were in there you know they were there digging for the gold and they were some of the best in the world, weren't they? But there were families who were certainly connecting to what I was doing without realising who I was, but suddenly, you know, had that sort of uh, relationship with the music. Now, you've so got to tell important. me how you came to go on tour with Robert Plant, the former Led Zeppelin frontman, you know, a great enthusiast for world music now. Did he phone you up? He gave me a call, yeah. I had a, I had a text on New Year's Day a couple of years ago, and... Um, it was from a, an engineer from Real World that I know, and he said... From the Peter Gabriel studios, uh, yes, yeah. Yes, and he said, do you mind if RP rings you? And that's how he's known, RP. So Did you know I, who he meant? Uh, no, I had no <laughs> idea. And so I said, yes, of course, you know, thinking it's a session for someone decent because it's a great studio. So anyway, I had a call when I was putting my daughter into the car and it was Robert. I actually thought it was a friend of mine who's a big Zeppelin fan winding me up, but it was, it was actually Robert. And then it was clear that he wanted me to go up record on this new record carry fire he wanted some sort of melodic input so uh, robert rang you and, yeah. and, and he said uh, i'd like you to come and play fiddle on the album yeah come and come and lend your your ears to the record have a listen to it and just see what you can make of it for a day so i went up to uh, the studio hung out with him and the band and the guys and and who's know, in the band what sort of musicians are you playing with it's all sorts i mean it's incredible the, the lineup he's got there i mean it's you know, certainly the best bunch of musicians I've ever worked with. You've got, for Massive Attack and Porter said, Johnny Baggett on keys, Electro Genius. You've got Justin Adams, who's this world music genius who works with Brian Eno and used to MD for Shannon O'Connor and produces Tanarwin and all those sort of world music. North African, you know, he's a real genius. Um, and then you've got Skin, Liam Tyson, who's a sort of rock, heavy guitar, Page type play, you know, yeah. Jimmy Page, who's from the sort of 90s indie rock style and he's amazing so they're all from different you know backgrounds. is it a bit scary going in amongst that lot i was quite intimidating <laughs> at first i mean when i walked into the studio first you know with robert and the guys and they said right seth uh, can you play along to this first track i mean i was just you know sweat pouring off me and I was, it was hot in there anyway i just remember thinking this is a real opportunity and it was an opportunity yeah. and thankfully it worked out you know they they were really excited and they threw most of the record at me at the end it was only meant to be one song and then they just kept throwing, you know, Robert's like, give me another one, give me another one. So as you now I was readjusting, playing, mostly viola. So you did the recording and then you went out on the road. And I mean, that must be an interesting experience. Compared to a Seth Lakeman tour, yeah. how does it differ? Uh, well, <laughs> I, mean, I felt like I was indulged in the, uh, the touring we were doing anyway. You know, sometimes we're lucky enough to have a, a, a nice bus, a touring bus, a night sleeper. And uh, this one, though, was, yeah, it's private planes. 
yeah, private planes yeah. all the way pretty much all the way yeah, yeah and a big a, entourage 27 people yeah i mean it's a well-oiled machine the whole thing when it's running but some of the venues you're doing and some of the people you're meeting and some of the the music i was introduced to it's just it was just mind-blowing and, and do you get robert's celebrity pals dropping backstage there's lots of that of course yeah lots of that who, who did you meet well i mean lots of people <laughs> priscilla presley john McEnroe hanging for a drink <laughs> explaining about how he learned to play tennis you know just bizarre moments like that with james redfield from metallica who's a massive fan all those sort of big red hot chilies and 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 the, and the kind of auditoria that you're playing i mean are, yeah. you, are you in stadiums some of them were small stadiums most of them are arenas there's a big outdoor circuit there so they do you know seven to eight thousand ten thousand yeah but going on playing a fiddle <laughs> and to open a <laughs> to show 10,000 people when you've got you know yeah 8,000 yanks looking at you you know giant drinks and a burger you know <laughs> it was a very very strange experience and did you get to play some classic Led Zeppelin oh yeah it was play yeah we're putting versions of uh, Levy Breaks Gallows Pole you know you're trying all sorts on everything really things like you know please read a letter and all those I mean some great songs you get to play on I mean you're pinching yourself yes you know? and, and, then and you he's screaming at you sometimes <laughs> I'm right next to his you're standing next to him and he's, that voice is coming at oh, you about a foot away it's so powerful yeah. that must be an extraordinary moment oh it's wonderful really wonderful but he plays off you the thing is being a melodic musician you're playing off a man like that so what him and Jimmy Page obviously you know famous for is just the far out playouts that they had off each other and I get the opportunity to do that, which is amazing. Without pedals as well, you know, you're just playing off each other's kind of characteristics, and it's it's a it's a real privilege. Yeah. yeah. And then you are back here now, and we're standing overlooking the beautiful blue water of this reservoir. Yeah. It must seem like a million miles away, all that stuff, doesn't it? When you come back here. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I've got these photos, and you know, it it does feel like it's it's another life, really. This is home and you know i started to think actually you know those tours were too long for me i love where i live and you know you you miss home when you're wandering around these big cities you miss you miss the people but you miss the most of all i miss the place you know i really i have such a kind of connection with this place and when you mentioned earlier on the sort of variety and you get so much here you know you're looking out you can't quite see it now but there's Plymouth sound behind us the sea's so close you know it's only nine ten miles away and I can't really write songs anywhere else. I've tried doing it. <laughs> you know, I've been in, in hotel rooms in Chicago. I have tried, yeah, exactly. But I'll be honest, this is this is where the inspiration is. Yeah. Would you sit here and and sing the white hair for us? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. It's and a, this is from Freedom Fields, isn't it? And I mean, it's a song that I've loved ever since I first heard it on on that album. And again, it seems to be about spectral appearances here on the moor. Yeah, the right? mystery of the moor. I mean, where I dug it up from is from the tinnis hair, which is the working uh, conditions of miners, tin miners, and when they used to come out from working those long shifts, they'd see all sorts of things, the apparitions. It's, so what, they saw visions yeah. as a result of overwork and, and the conditions that they were breathing in down in the tin mines and all that? Absolutely, yeah. Right, yeah. and so they might see... A spectral hair. A spectral hair or a spectral witch. This white hair being a white witch and she would steal your soul away if you catch her eye in the moonlight. That's the Celtic vision of this, this story. But this would be the white hair. Dead of night, the warning of a white hair 
eyes burning bright Be careful you don't catch her Or give her a right of way But she will look upon you And steal your soul away For the white hair is cooling She's dancing in the night She'll be out to the morning Just with her eyes burning bright The white hair is cooling you Well out upon the heather A shadow came on to me Her hair was hanging over Her face I could not see Ran behind the rocks I heard the hounds cry It's the image of a woman With a head holding high Before the white hair is cooling She's dancing in the night And she'll be out till the morning Just with her eyes White hair is cooling you And if you go hunting Or cooling out your prey And if you see a fair mate Her hair in ashen you don't catch her If you right of way She will look upon you And steal your soul For the white hair is cooling She's dancing in the night And she'll be So what did you do, Matthew, while Seth was playing one of your favourite songs here by the side of the Baratour Reservoir? Well, actually, what you had to do was throw a stick repeatedly for his dog. <laughs> <laughs> because the dog <laughs> won't stop. He won't and he, stop. He's like perpetual motion. I know. I know. You can't wear him out. <laughs> I love that song. It's so, it's so fantastic. It's so atmospheric. It's um, a lovely place to sing it, I have to say. Right. Yeah. Now. Shall we walk on? Because there's more views to be seen, I think, and more yeah, well, tracks yeah. to be explored. There's an awful lot here. And the dog needs walking. <laughs> and the, dog, yeah. the dog's definitely pawing at my, the back of my leg. <laughs> he he wants some exercise. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me, throw the, let me throw the stick again. Okay. So it's shooting season. Pheasants uh, galore around this area. There's a big shoot in Maristow, and my dog can smell them, basically. That's why, that's why he's over-enthusiastic today, anyway. <laughs> and the instinct is 
to go and retrieve them, presumably. He wants to, yeah, fetch 50,000 birds at once. (laughs) (laughs) He's an ambitious dog. He is, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm working at the moment on a project for the 2020 Mayflower 400. So in Plymouth, it's a big anniversary of the Pilgrim Fathers leaving. Right. So I'm writing the music for a theatre show that's going to... Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so, so what, I, it would be about the Pilgrim Fathers, would it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The Pilgrim Fathers leaving 1620, you know, going across on the Mayflower and starting a new life, the Puritans, you know, and songs to stir up emotions of loved ones leaving, of, you know, of discovery, of the tragedy involved, you know, with the Native American Indians. There's all sorts within that play. I'll be honest, it's epic. Sounds amazing. <laughs> it's hard and, to... And, and would you look at the original writings of some of the people who went there and, uh, uh, yeah, and, and look at their diaries song. and that oh, thing? Yeah, the song of the new world. It's amazing. And I went to a place called Victoria Bookshop in Bir Alston, which is just down the road from me, and I found this incredible manuscript, and it's 50th edition... But it's the song of the new world, and it's about the Pilgrim Fathers, about when... I I don't know if it stretches all the way back, but it's something that certainly, within history, is there, and we must use it. I mean, it's the most powerful lyrics as well. The tune, not so much, but we don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could add a new tune, presumably. Yeah, we could do something with it. There's twists, turns, and... I even went to, when I was on this mammoth tour with Robert, I was in Massachusetts, and I met the Wampanoag tribe, you see. We've tried to get them involved, the Native American Indians, to try and tell both sides of the story. Yes. That's really important to the Theatre Royal in Plymouth. And, and were they receptive writing. to that idea well, when you met them? Well, <laughs> interestingly enough, I mean, they weren't at first, but after a few hours being in a, it's, you know, think of village hall, they came in, about 30 or 40 of them, representatives of Wampanoag tribe, you know, and uh, some of them were very... You know, very wary and, I guess, standoffish, you know, is the word, yeah. Um, but Not surprisingly, after the history of no, exa- what happened. exactly. And the way it's been portrayed and, in the and, past. And, yeah, they wanted to see how we would be presenting the show. But I think once we got through to them, we wanted to tell both sides of the story. It seemed to resonate. And, and the fact that they could get a free ticket across to... Uh, <laughs> to, to the UK, UK. And they were going to come and see it here. I think, that, yeah, yeah. Well, the idea is for them to play some sort of part within it. What a fascinating project. And it seems to me to be sort of symbolic of the way you work, which is rather than taking a traditional song and tune and saying, right, that's it, I'll just sing the traditional song and tune, you seem to me to take inspiration from the traditions, from the history and so on, and then turn it your own way. I think, yeah, that's the way I've always looked at it. (laughs) In terms of the way you experiment with music, it's always good to stir things up. I'm never one for standing still. Yes. <laughs> and you've got to keep moving forward, I haven't think you? That's evolution, that's evolving, yeah. and that's what it's all about. It's what we're doing right now. We're <laughs> ploughing forward. We're moving forward yeah, across yeah. the moor. And when you all get together, do you all get together, first of all? Like yeah. a Christmas party or something like, oh, like that? like a big... Is yeah. there a time when you've got Cara there and Catherine there and yeah. Sean and Sam and... Yeah. You know, and then you all have a sing-song or a session. Does that um, work or not? We used to. That do you would know be the dream, wouldn't it? We used to do it at Christmas in the Drake Manor Inn, which is right next to the church that we just played that slow air. Um, and uh, we haven't done it for a few Christmases. I think it just got too busy for the pub. I'll be honest. <laughs> it was uh, when my grandfather was still alive, Bumpy, uh, we used to do that. Uh, and it was something that was really quite special, actually. Every Christmas, you'd pile into the pub and they'd just open up for the family. And, you know, we'd all just sing some songs. You know, that was, that was great, but um, we haven't done it for a while now. Yeah. Would you like to do it again? I would, yeah. I'm always trying to get, get, them, get them off the sofa. 
<laughs> we're know, too busy like, watching Strictly Come Dancing. It's been like the royal family, isn't it? <laughs> come on, guys. Uh, come on, go, do something. Yeah, play come something. On, we're sing do something, something. Guys. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get there eventually. When the kids, the kids are starting to play actually, because um, we had a session. Sam, my brother Sam, and Noah, his boy, is a really good fiddle player. So we were playing a session just when he was last down. That was great to see. So I think that's the next generation that's going to spur us all on and get us back together. So as we come up here, you can just see quite clearly there, Plymouth Sound. Now that's yes. the sea, you can see it on the horizon there. That's Drake's Island and just going stretching through here is the Tamar. You can see where quite clearly where Cornwall and Devon are divided. Um, and then over this side is Princetown. Oh yeah, where the prison is. Where the prison is, yeah, the famous Dartmoor prison, you know. But it's wonderful seeing the, uh, seeing the ocean. From, yes. the, from the moors. From the, from the height of the moor. Yeah, 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 there's not many places you can do that. It's, it's wonderful. It's a beautiful sight. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And there's a walk across the moor marked by crosses, isn't there? Can you tell me about that? So the Abbot's Way, it's the old highway across the moor and it basically stretches from Buckfastley to Tavistock Abbey. And there's also a stretch that comes to Buckland Abbey. And so effectively it's where it's... the monks used to travel between the different abbeys on the moor. Yeah, exactly. And there's a selection of crosses that you would see on each tour that would lead you along your way. So when, you know, things were uh, a lot wilder and, you know, the mist was down, you could find your way. It was a way of kind of tracking yourself across the moor. And you've got a song called The Courier? I have. I've got a song called The Courier that I wrote for a record called Word of Mouth a good five years ago. And, um, yeah, I'll sing it for you now, yeah? <coughs> Sorry. Come to do the poor thing. Wonderful. Cuts you off a bit, you know. <laughs> Come to Cree alone, the high road winds and loops. Watch her smooth the stones with a weary finger stoops. Still in the night, there's a cross. Come the career alone in the flurry of suffering. Pass the loose sinking bridge to the surging of the spray. Thank you. 
So th thank you so much for coming on this walk with us on Dartmoor. Thank you for laying on the weather. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for sharing your music with us today. It's been absolutely brilliant. No, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for inviting me along. Thank you. Here's someone who's happy. Yeah. Seth Lakeman on Dartmoor. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode of Folk on Fort, please rate and review us so others can find us, and please tell all your friends. To keep up with the latest news, why not sign up for our newsletter at folkonfoot.com. Other episodes in Season 2 feature John Bowden in the Loxley Valley, Kerry Andrew or You Are Wolf at the Brockwell Lido, Fisherman's Friends at Port Isaac, Stick in the Wheel on the Road to Epping Forest, and Julie Fowlis on the shores of Loch Ness. And if you haven't caught up with Season 1 yet, what are you waiting for? Six more episodes featuring the young'uns, Kareem Polwart, Sam Lee, Eliza Carthian family, Steve Knightley and Cara Dillon. All available at folkonfoot.com or through your podcast app. Do have a listen. <laughs>